When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Football Social Daily with German Donner Kebab. Fancy something different for tea? Get takeaway delivery now via Deliveroo and Uber Eats. Welcome, this is Football Social Daily, keeping you in the loop with everything from the Premier League every day of the week when there is actually football being played. As now there isn't much football, it's just a few times a week, but hopefully we'll be back up and running at full speed soon. The Premier League are currently circling June the 12th as the potential target date for a return to Premier League action. There is plenty of chat about that on the other podcasts. Today, that is not necessarily going to be the topic of conversation because today's podcast, because it's a Friday, is the AQA show. All questions answered, and those questions have come direct from you via the Sports Social social media accounts. You can get your questions in for next week's show now if you want, at the Sports Social on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram as well. You can find them by searching The Sports Social. We're going to be talking Spanish alumni. We're going to be talking German football. And we're going to be talking Sir Alex Ferguson's Manchester United dynasty on today's podcast. And to talk about those topics and answer the questions, I've got Steve McNaughton. Hello, Steve. Hello, Jim. And we've got Niall McCorn as well. Niall, how are you doing? Very good. Hello, boys. Hello. So let's kick straight on with the very first question, which comes from Fred in Brazil. Tudo bem, Fred. Tudo bem. It's not, um, the, uh, he... it's not the Manchester United midfielder by any chance, is it? <laughs> well, that would be Fred in Manchester then. I assume there must be another Fred in Brazil somewhere. <laughs> but his question is, what do you guys think about Neymar in the Premier League? He says, here in Brazil, the press are saying that he would go back to Barcelona or maybe a move to the Premier League, potentially Newcastle. So there's our questions from uh, Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. So what are we saying? What do you think? Do you think Neymar could come to the Premier League? And if he does come to the Premier League, <laughs> would he be a success, Niall? Um, I mean, he's a world-class player. So, yeah, you'd think he would be a success. I mean, the best players in the world turn it on no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the situation, which is why I think many people do still have um, a desire to see players like Messi and Neymar in the Premier League. We know how good Messi is, and I don't think there's any doubt that if Messi came to the Premier League, he would be absolutely sensational. Um, I mean, that's always the argument when you're doing Ronaldo versus Messi. It's all, well, Ronaldo's done it in three, four different leagues, and Messi hasn't. Um, But why not? I mean, the Premier League is one of the most desirable leagues in the world to play in. Uh, I'm not sure in terms of uh, of this quality uh, that everyone speaks of, whether it's the best in terms of quality, but certainly in terms of competitiveness, it's the most exciting league in the world for me. I mean, Neymar in the Premier League would be brilliant. However, for me, joining Newcastle United is perhaps a little bit of a step too far at this stage. Mm. Uh, I mean, you're going to see Newcastle linked with plenty of top, top players over the next few weeks and months, particularly heading into this first transfer window under new ownership. Of course, that Newcastle takeover is still yet to be ratified. Looks like British Parliament might end up stepping in in some way, shape or form uh, before that takeover deal goes through. But I mean, we've seen Newcastle linked with Felipe Coutinho in recent days. I mean, Neymar for me though is a step too far and the reason why I think that is because obviously he's currently at PSG. He was 
the world's most expensive transfer over 220 million euros or whatever it was now with the saudis who are potentially about to own newcastle and the qataris who own psg there is political friction there between the two countries Mm. between the two nations Mm. it's been going on for a while and i think we will see players used as political pawns we might see some bidding wars between the two parties the qataris and the saudis i just can't see why psg would sell to newcastle united i just can't see it particularly with that political backdrop i just find that difficult to grasp i mean it's not off the table i mean this is football this is the transfer market anything can happen but for me, it just seems a little bit too far-fetched, this one. And, you know, the pettiness of the conflict between the two nations might result in Newcastle United being charged even more than that 220 million euros that he initially moved to Paris for. Barcelona seems more uh, of an obvious shout. I think, for me, Barcelona would probably be the most likely destination that we see Neymar rather than the Premier League. I think you're right. And it's, as you say... If you're a quality player, you're a quality player in whatever league you play in. And he would Mm. certainly shine in the Premier League if he was to come here. And that is even with what I think is wasting the last two, three years in Paris, which should have been him playing in his prime and playing in what is a substandard league compared to the Italian and the Spanish and the English leagues. The issue I'd see with him coming to the Premier League would be, as you say, Newcastle, there's the potential difficulty between the Saudis doing business with PSG, but also... On top of that, would he be the right purchase for Newcastle at this stage in their development? If they trans, if the deal goes through and if they have a transfer budget to spend, that is your entire budget spent on one player. Given FFP rules and how much they'll likely be able to invest in the club, when you're looking at a squad rebuilding, then you need to kind of spread your finances a little bit thinner because you need to strengthen in so many different areas. So I can't see Newcastle being a destination. And then I think there's always a question over Neymar's temperament as well. Some of his behaviour at PSG has not been the kind of behaviour that you'd imagine the likes of Jurgen Klopp and the likes of Pep Guardiola welcoming into their squad. So maybe City and Liverpool are off the table as well. And then who does that leave? Who could afford him and where would he want to go? I think the only potential destination after that would be Chelsea and maybe Manchester United. Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, Chelsea have always had a a penchant for buying top class players when perhaps it isn't the right time. I'm thinking of the likes of Andrei Shevchenko, who was a Ballon d'Or winner and they signed him, what, 10, 15 years ago and it never really worked out for him. Um, They seem to sign players that may be just not quite right for Chelsea at the time. Uh, Alvaro Morata as well, who was signed by Chelsea a couple of seasons ago, who was one of the best strikers in Europe at the time and it never really kind of worked out for him. I mean, we've seen this a few times at Chelsea. Fernando Torres. Fernando Torres, again, another great example, probably passed it when they signed him. So, I mean, Chelsea probably would be an option. Um, And of course, uh, living in London as well, a fair amount of the Brazilian players in the Premier League are based at London clubs and they do have a bit of a community going on there. Um, We've seen Willian at Chelsea. We know his contract's expiring at Chelsea. uh, So there will be a gap there. Pedro's leaving the club. So there will be a gap there to bring players in, you think, for Frank Lampard. And Willian, even though he's leaving Chelsea, his wife has put on his Instagram page how much he loves the city and would like to stay there. So there is a bit of a Brazilian community there in the capital. So, I mean, I think for me, if there was a choice of the two, Chelsea or Manchester United, for me, I think Chelsea would be the more obvious option for Neymar. 
But then again, I, I still can't look past Barcelona for me, for me, Jim. I mean, that that's that's where the most obvious move lies. I mean, he loved his time at Barcelona um, with the three of them up front. It was Suarez, Messi uh, and Neymar. You know, what a formidable front three that was. And if Barcelona have any hopes of kind of becoming a, a Champions League winner again in the next few seasons, they might be thinking about bringing Pep back from Manchester City. They might be thinking about bringing Neymar back. Mm. So, I mean, if Barcelona really do want to get back on that, that top plinth of, of European football, which is currently held by Liverpool, then they, they might have to pull out all the stops and, and re-sign Neymar. What about Neymar in a Liverpool shirt, Steve? Uh, that one, it wouldn't be for me. I've got to be honest with you, Jim. I don't think he fits into the fits the mould where, where Liverpool are concerned. Or, or Man City, to be honest. I, don't, I wouldn't see any of them teams going in for a player like that. I think that if, if he did leave and come to the Premier League, I think it would be a bit of a... Uh, a left-wing move, really. I think it'd be someone who we wouldn't expect to sign him. You know, I don't think it'd work at Newcastle. I think, from a financial, pe- you know, fair play point of view, I think it'd just be well exceed what's possible for them from monetary um, position, even with all the cash that is ho- hopefully coming into the club. But I think the way that that's dragging out is kind of looking a bit ominous, isn't it? Like that, you know, that uh, especially with government involvement in it, mm. but. I think that um, he's more likely to go to Barcelona, I think, and, and try and, you know, get them back up there, like Niles just said, and get them kind of challenging for the top European honours. And, you know, Barcelona have been capitulating in Europe the last couple of seasons, haven't they, when they've been getting into the knockout rounds and, you know, building up quite big, you know, first leg scores and getting turned over quite convincingly away from home. And, you know, they'll want to get that, that trophy back at some point and they'll need players like Neymar to do it. The other thing for Neymar for me is that he's 28 years of age now as well. Is um, he? You know, yeah. Neymar was 28 in February. And um, I think that, you know, as mad as it sounds, I think there's a little bit of time running out on that front as well. Um, you know, because if he gets to kind of like, you know, um, December time where he's about to turn 29, the reality of someone paying over £200 million to sign him has probably gone out the window. And I just think it's now or never really for Neymar. And I think he would light the Premier League up. I think it'd be a welcome addition. I just can't see anyone bar Manchester United, really. I don't think mm. Chelsea have got the means to pay over £200 million for a player. Well, they've got the Hazard money still, though, haven't they? They haven't spent that in any way. So that is sitting in the bank. And they, I mean, the wages are a completely different question and how much you'd want I imagine it would be an astronomical amount in terms of wages as well but then there's an adjustment in terms of the world finances so I mean who knows whether they could afford him but I think Barcelona is the obvious choice he's under contract until 2022 as well so I mean there, there is going to need to be a fee paid there uh, whether it's up mm. to 200 million euros or not I mean we don't know of course but if someone wants to buy him out of his contract it is going to have to be that or the player himself pays the rest of his contract off. I mean, he's he's on 350 million quid a year or something like that. So, I mean, it's ridiculous money for a player, to be honest. Oh, well, I think that in summary, Fred, the answer to your question is he'd be great in the Premier League, but we don't think there's any chance of him coming here. So, great question, Fred. We enjoyed that. And I also enjoyed the fact that we got a question from a Brazilian named Fred, because I really like Brazilians with really kind of normal northern names like Fred and Joe. It's one of my favourite things in football. Uh, so let's crack on with another question. Niall, you've got the next one. Yeah, Alex on Instagram has sent this question into us and he asks, who is the best Spanish player to play in the Premier League? Now, this is a good question and there are some obvious contenders, uh, a couple of which have played for your club, Liverpool, Steve. So, I mean, who's in your top brass for the best Spanish players to play in the league? 
I think, yeah, you're quite right. You know, we've had the likes of, you know, Fernando Torres, who was absolutely on fire at Liverpool. It was definitely, you know, the most prolific period of his career before the Chelsea move, and he just was never the same player after that, was he? Um, I think Xabi Alonso is obviously needs to, needs to be mentioned as well, but I've got to be honest and say, for me, it, there's no doubt about it. It's got to be David Silva at Man City, uh, who's who's the best Spanish player by by some way. You know, I don't even think it, it's close. I think you know what he's achieved at Man City, what he's won at Man City, and what you know he's dealt with in his personal life while he's been at Man City, and you know he's won all the honours with Spain nationally as well. I think it's just an incredible player, incredible ambassador for Man City, and you know the Premier League. You know when this season does finish, and and you know it looks like he's setting off for pastures new, will will be a worse place without him. I, I just cannot speak highly enough for David Silva. 100% I think it is David Silva. I was convinced you were going to go for Fernando Torres, Steve. 100% convinced. I can so be I was objective, Jim. Silva. Well, not often. <laughs> <laughs> so I went for David Silva as well. It was between Cesc Fabregas and David Silva for me. But I think yeah. you look at the role that Silva has played at Manchester City. He's got 10 trophies, 10 major trophies during his time in Manchester now. Mm. And he was so important, that very first Premier League win. And you kind of look at him now, and he, he's still a great player, but he's not the player he was when he first came to the Premier League. But he was such an important player in their first Premier League title. And then Pep Guardiola came along and moved him kind of into the centre of midfield. And for a few seasons, he just ran Manchester City. He mm. sat in the middle. He controlled the game. He would pick out the most beautiful, exquisite passes, the kind of thing we're giving Kevin De Bruyne credit for now, as if he invented passing the ball. But <laughs> David Silva was doing it before him. He was just magical to watch. And, I mean, he's one of the best Premier League players of all time, as well as oh, being yeah. the best Spanish Premier League player of all time. So, for me, David Silva just absolutely romps home. If you're talking about overseas players, foreign players, then, yeah, I think you can definitely put David Silva in the top 10 of, of all-time Premier League players to come from, from abroad. I think the thing that clinches it for David Silva is just simply the silverware, because if you look at some of the other Spanish players that perhaps get overlooked in this conversation, actually, I'm, I'm thinking of two goalkeepers here. I'm thinking of David De Gea, who's been in the Premier League now for coming up to 10 years, who's been actually excellent for Manchester United. He's won their Player of the Season award, I think, four out of the, the, the 10 seasons or whatever he's been there. So, you know, he's 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 done an unbelievable job. And um, Keeping on the goalkeeper front, and I think the reason Silva pips this man uh, to the award is purely because of the silverware. What about Pepe Reina, another Liverpool player? And the reason, you know, I've slagged Pepe Reina off on the podcast in the last couple of weeks. Um, but the reason that maybe I might bring his name to the table, I don't think he comes anywhere close to David Silva, but he might deserve to sit at that, you know, poker table of Spanish stars. Yeah. It's because he's got the sixth most clean sheets of all time in Premier League history. Uh, none of which come at Aston Villa, by the way, just to, to get that out there. Um, <laughs> and his clean sheet percentage is 46%. 46% of the games he's played in in the Premier League, he's kept a clean sheet. That's nearly half of the games that he's ever played in the Premier League. He's kept a clean sheet. Wow. And imagine how good that record would be if he never played for Aston Villa. Mm. Um, that's better than Petr Cech who holds the record for the most clean sheets in history. So I think Pepe Reina may be, may be slightly uh, overlooked in this conversation, but I think it is undoubtedly going towards David Silva. He's, uh, what a keeper he was in his pomp no Nile. I think that's a great shout. And, and funnily enough, it's quite timely because obviously we've just celebrated the uh, the anniversary of the, uh, you know, the FA Cup final with West Ham. 
where he uh, saved three penalties in the shootout. What was, and that, what just... was that? What was that? I don't remember that that game. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. It was also known as the Gerrard <laughs> final, Jim. Um, but he's uh, yeah, he's uh, absolutely top class, and he's a big character in the dressing room. Pep as well. So, you know, good shout out, mate. Interestingly, on the David Silver thing as well, there's reports in the paper today that David Silver might consider signing a one-year contract extension at City. So everyone thought he was going to be off at the end of the season, maybe going over to New York to play his football there or something. But there's rumours about a potential final swan song as well, which I think will please some... Th- I think it's time for him to move on. I think it's time for him to kind of hang up his boots and go elsewhere. But I think you're right. But, I mean, if you take into account the, the situation at this moment in time, is it really sensible? I mean, I don't want to be going to New York anytime soon. I mean, with the coronavirus no. pandemic the way it is, things are just starting to slow down in Europe, whereas in the United States, things look like they're about to accelerate at a rate of knots if they haven't already. So, I mean, I don't think the US is a very palatable option as a footballer right mm. now. I think staying put in an environment you're comfortable with, in an environment you know, when the world is kind of upside down at the moment, I think that is not the most stupid of decisions. And although it might not romantically, sentimentally fit into the plans for Manchester City and it might not be the swan song um, that everyone was after and everyone was kind of already wrapping their head around the fact that Silva was going to leave City, I don't think it would be the most stupid idea if he signed a fresh contract. Yeah, and maybe Manchester City would quite like to sort of batten down the hatches a little bit as well. We don't know what the transfer market's going to be like. We don't know whether players are going to move freely. So actually having a settled squad, kind of knowing what you've got, maybe wouldn't be the worst move for them in the world either. Steve, you've got the next one from Twitter. I have, and it's come from Oscar. So thanks for sending your question in, mate. Uh, This is one that refers to the, uh, you know, the Dynamo Dresden squad and the, um, the fact that they've been placed into a 14-day quarantine due to coronavirus. And his question is, how do you think the Premier League would react if a PL team would have to do the same? You know, Both Bundesliga 1 and 2 are due to commence, recommence this weekend, despite the Dynamo Dresden you know, quarantine. So mm. it's just what you mm. boys think, really, on, on the situation should it happen to a Premier League team. I'll start with you now. Um, well, I think it's interesting because when this coronavirus pandemic first had an impact on English football. It was the start of March. Mikel Arteta tested positive for coronavirus. Callum Hudson-Odoi tested positive for coronavirus. And then, immediately, games were suspended. Uh, And that's been the case for as long as we've been in quarantine now. And then, of course, last week, a third Brighton player, who we don't know who that is, tested positive for coronavirus. I mean, if two players testing positive is enough to postpone the schedule for you know, a weekend in which, I mean, I think, Jim, you were pretty convinced that that weekend of action around that time was going to go ahead, um, even though it felt kind of on a bit of a knife edge, really. But, mm. I mean, if that's enough to convince the league to, to postpone fixtures, then I'm not sure a whole squad in in, uh, in quarantine would, would be much use to anyone. I think the issue is, is if you're, for instance, let's just say, for, for argument's sake, we've spoken about them on the podcast already, Chelsea um, end up the whole team having to 14-day quarantine, Say you're due to be one of the teams that play Chelsea after that quarantine period. I mean, would you feel comfortable doing that? I'm not sure I would if I was a player. I mean, I'm not sure I'd be comfortable playing the game uh, at all at this moment in time uh, with all the things that are going on. So I think it would be Mm. a disaster for the Premier League. I think if players actually veto this decision to restart the league, which I think is a possible option. And I mean, I think they'll 
the you know the way that these officials are they'll find a way to get the game on no matter how scandalous it is whether it's yeah. kids playing games academy graduates or out of contract players lone stars they'll find a way dogs to get... in football kits whatever exactly it is. they'll yeah the referee you know putting a <laughs> shirt on um they'll find a way to do it so that's the thing that concerns me. But I think if the players do stand up and take a stand, I mean, look at what Danny Rose has said over the last couple of days. I mean, he called it f***s. Mm. He, he just completely called it absolute f***s that, that, to play the game. So, I mean, I think some of the players really are harbouring some deep emotions about this. And I think if they put their hands up and say, right, well, this is stupid. This club's gone into quarantine for two weeks. How do you expect us to play games? And and, and why why would I put my family at risk? And I think there are so many deeper questions than the simple what would happen if the Premier League restarted despite the fact there's a team in quarantine. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me, but it would just make it even more farcical than it already is. It's got to the point now where, I mean, we've done this podcast for weeks and weeks now in lockdown. What are we into? Week nine, week 10, I've lost count. You know, and and it does feel like we're going over old ground. We're saying the same things over and over again. This might happen. This might not happen. This could happen. This could not happen. Mm. We just don't know. The fact that people would consider restarting the season with a whole squad in quarantine for 14 days is baffling to me so i mean the premier league would they deal with it yes they always seem to deal with these things for better or for worse i don't know um but i don't think it would sit right with me if that was the case i mean it's an interesting question what would the premier league do because we will find out if the premier league resumes somebody will get coronavirus because the virus is not under control and a team will go into lockdown and then we'll find out exactly what they will do. And I imagine Premier League are very nervously glancing at Bundesliga right now, right now to see if it works because that is the European test case as to whether Premier League football can get back on the agenda. And Yeah, and also you've got to trust the players, Jim. I mean, you have to trust the players to abide by the lockdown rules and the guidelines, which... We yeah. haven't seen. We've seen Morgan Gibbs-White two days ago at Wolves. We've seen David Luiz, Jack Grealish, Kyle Walker. We've seen half of the Spurs squad break the rules. I mean, so, so I mean, how can we trust mm. all of these Premier League players, of which there are around 500, by the way, to stick to lockdown rules when the lockdown has been slightly amended to allow people a little bit more freedom? How can you trust all of these people to, to do that? And this is not a slight on footballers by any stretch of the imagination. They're the same as the rest of us. They're well entitled to go out to the park and do their daily exercise. But if one of them catches coronavirus and people say, oh, well, they shouldn't have been playing football, you know, turn your face away when you're tackling. They might have caught it off another player. I think that's unlikely. The Mm. likelihood is they've caught it off of someone down the park or in the supermarket, just like everyone else. I mean, they'll have to put players under lock and key pretty much to actually make it happen. If it did happen, if the Premier League did restart and a team went into quarantine for 40 days, the league would... I can't see another option other than the league at that point being cancelled, which also I can't see the Premier League doing, which is why it makes it an entirely re- impossible thing for them to even consider restarting because we've got such a tight schedule anyway. So June the 12th, like I said, is the time that the Premier League have ring-fenced as a potential start date. A lot of people are saying that's optimistic. UEFA have said they want stuff finished by, is it the beginning of July? They want games finished by because they want to kind of decide UEFA competition places and all that kind of thing. So we're looking at maybe three, four games a week already, which is a massively tight schedule. If a team and just one team drops out of that, that is suddenly eight games that need to be rescheduled in an already massively tight schedule. It is an impossibility to even consider how that would happen. So we'd end up deciding the league on average points or goal difference or whatever crazy solution that they come up with. 
it yeah the more you look into it the more you go i can't see it happening because these tiny things these tiny ripples that could affect the games in some way have a massive effect and that was my going to be my point as well because obviously you two guys have summed it up really well there but i was going to come at it from a different uh, angle and say that logistically if that was to happen it would be an absolute nightmare and um, because like you quite rightly said you know 14 days in quarantine then you've got the uh, the matter of having to get all them games done for the league table to be finished um, and the biggest challenge I think we've got in this country um, is the fact that there's so many permutations from it that um, and financially is is why it's being driven as hard as it is um, because you know let's have it right the area in, in the Netherlands is a fraction of how lucrative the Premier League is uh, for example mm. and, and I would say that Ligue 1 is in France as well um, you know, because the TV deal, I think the you know the the broadcasters have written to them, haven't they? Allegedly to terminate the TV deal. Um, you know, it's like two hundred and thirty-six million euros a season or something like that. Um, you know, the Premier League stands to lose over a billion if the season isn't completed, and and that's what's driving everything forward. And I think from a logistics point of view, if we have one team drop out of of, of that situation and still have to play, I don't know five or six games to finish their season and if god forbid it's a team that are in the relegation mix as well because that would really throw a spanner in the works i just think it is an absolute minefield and you know we are all kind of looking at the bundesliga this weekend and and and, th- and hoping and praying that everything goes right for all concerned and i think that is going to be the blueprint for the premier league and i think you know the Bund- i remember you know um Rumenigger being on Sky Sports and um, saying, you know, that Bayern Munich were going to go and quarantine for fourteen days in a hotel while while training at Sabner Street, um, to make sure that they were okay. And I think unless the Premier League teams do that, and you know, you've got your Liverpool's, your Manchester United's, and everything, you know, quarantined in a hotel somewhere and then being ferried to the training ground and so on and so. On. I I, just, I can go on and on and on. I just think it's a, an absolute mm. nightmare. And now we're talking about playing games in the actual stadiums themselves because there's there's really a lot of objection to, to neutral grounds because of the sport and integrity and that's a different argument as well <laughs> you know so that there's so many kind of moving parts with it and um you know we shall see how it all transpires transpires but i think i thought it was a great question from oscar yeah and, and it all knocks on as well steve because you know you talk about that hotel them all staying in the hotel well you'd have to monitor the staff and make sure the staff are adhering to rules because, you know, if they break rules and then they end up spreading coronavirus, I mean, it's just, it's so difficult to, to keep on top of. And I think it's important to stress as well, the Bundesliga is two divisions. It's yeah. the Premier League and the Championship of Germany. The English football pyramid is dense. It's vast. We've got four professional divisions and the fifth division, the National League, which is technically non-league, non-professional, is pretty much 100% a professional league Absolutely. anyway. So, I mean, there's so many different caveats to this situation there's so many different people that it affects and you mentioned sport and integrity i mean it, it's nonsense i mean clubs will be looking out for themselves the integrity of football vanished long 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 ago in my opinion years absolutely ago. years ago there, there's i mean the, the integrity of, of people surrounding the sport vanished in the 80s when you see newspapers trying to blame certain parties for incidents that happened and have had to come out and apologize i mean i mean there's been no integrity for, in football for 30 years Championship clubs losing twenty million pounds a season, and owners willing to plug the gap. Where's the integrity in that? If you look at the likes of Coventry, who haven't been able to play home games at their own stadium this season, where's the integrity in League One? There, I mean, interestingly enough, Coventry 
haven't spoken out about wanting to restart the season, even though they're near the top of the league. They're quite happy for it to be finished on a points per game basis. Gary Neville's been banging the drum about Salford City. Or oh, why are we all wanting to get the season restarted? Probably because you're 10th, Gary, and you've got no chance of reaching the playoffs. And you're bankrolled by a billionaire, along with several other millionaires that you have in your class of 92's consortium that own the club. So I think people are always going to act in their own interest. I think there's a natural element to that. But I just think this whole integrity of the sport debate, as you mentioned, Steve, it is a completely different kettle yeah. of fish. And it's getting it's getting on my nerves, to be honest, because there's been no integrity in football for absolutely years. Right, we're going to take a little break and let Niall take a deep breath and maybe have a glass of water <laughs> and all that kind of thing. We'll come back with more of your questions in a minute on Football Social Daily. Before we go to the break, I want to say, give us a review. Get on iTunes, get on Acast, get on CastBox, wherever you listen to podcasts. Let us know what you make of this podcast. Give us five stars if you think we deserve it. If you think we don't deserve it, well, still give us five stars, but then you can make up a different comment if you like, and we'll give you a shout-out on the podcast. We've not had a review for time, and I appreciate everyone's busy and kind of preoccupied with other stuff going on in the world, but it's lovely to hear your messages. So please get online and let us know what you think of the podcast. And we'll be back in a minute with more from Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily with German Donner Kebab. Get it delivered to your door via Deliveroo or Uber Eats. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. We are answering your questions on the AQA podcast. All questions answered and you can get your questions in via our social media on Twitter. We're at The Sport Social and you can search The Sport Social on Facebook and Instagram and find us there. Let us know what questions you want answered and we'll get them on next week's podcast. We do this every Friday. So, Niall, I think you've got the next one. Yeah, this question comes from the bombastically named Gunner Wolf on Twitter. What a name. Gunner Wolf. Gunner Wolf. That sounds like an that sounds like an 80s kids cartoon that, doesn't it? This question came in from Gunner Wolf on Twitter. What do you guys think about changing the current format of a points table to determine the title to a playoff format where teams are seeded based on points but a lower seed can still steal the title with a solid run when it counts the most? Even NASCAR changed to this format. Now, I think what Gunnar Wolf is trying to suggest is if you finish top of the league, you don't actually win the title. You go into a playoff system. So if you finish first, let's just say the playoff system ends at sixth place. First place will then play against sixth place in the playoffs. And by finishing first, your reward, so to speak, is that you get to take on a team which is lower down the table. Now, this is what they do in Rugby Union, I believe. In to rugby decide Super who wins. League. Rubbish. And Rugby yeah. Super League to decide who wins the title. I mean, obviously, Gunnar Wolf has pointed out that they use this in NASCAR. I mean, I think NASCAR is probably slightly different kettle of fish to, to the sports we're used to here in the UK. So, for me, I can't stand this idea. It's almost incomprehensible, in it, Jim, to be able to see a change to this format? I mean, it's a terrible idea. <laughs> they did do it. I mean, they, they did change it in rugby, and it wasn't always the format in rugby. It's a relatively new invention, having this playoff... Um, scenario in rugby union to decide who gets the title but for me if you win the league you win the league and that's it that's it the end of the story it's such a war of attrition to win a league title which is why it's so highly regarded it's not just winning four games and getting a bit lucky it is picking up points right the way through the season beating your opposition beating the best in the league and keeping that going for the best part of nine months and that's the person who should get the league title if you then go oh have you got the league title maybe you haven't it i mean we talked about integrity that takes the integrity out of the game i get 
that it creates a finale to the season, which potentially is very lucrative. I get it creates a TV event, which is, again, very lucrative. I get it creates an event, another final, which is lucrative. But again, that's what we're looking at, isn't it? It's money over sporting integrity. So for me, no, don't go anywhere near it. Don't touch it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm on the same page as you. Uh, guys, uh, I just think that when I, when I, when I seen it, I was like, oof, not a fan of that at all. Uh, I think obviously they've got it working in, in Super League, and it you know culminates with the grand final in October at Old Trafford in Manchester. Um, it's very much the Australian model that, that we have used over here, you know, to do it with the with their NRL. Um, I just think that, like you've just said, Jim, I think if you've been rock solid for you know, 30-odd games uh, across, you know, a 10-month period and then you go into this lottery of a playoff system to determine, you know, whether you're going to be champions or not. I mean, I, I'm not a fan of that at all. And I think that um, it would be crushing if, if you were leading it up until the last three games of the season or something and, um, you know, you, you were to, to kind of lose it at that stage. But I think if you were a fan of a, a mid-table team that, that re- realistically weren't going to challenge, I think it would probably make football a bit more exciting for you. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just can't see see this working in, in, in the Premiership and, and, and the Championship. Um yeah, it's, it's a definite no for me. And if I was on Dragons, then I'd be at this point, I'd be saying I was out. <laughs> you know, for me, it comes back to the conversations we've been having about what happens if you don't finish the Premier League or the Championship as well. And it comes to the question of should teams from the Championship be promoted if the season doesn't finish? No, they shouldn't because they haven't earned it. Should Liverpool get the Premier League title if the season doesn't get completed? No, they shouldn't get it because they've not actually won it. Should the FA Cup be given to the team that scored the most goals or something this season? Because that's the same argument. No. If you're going to win something, you win it. And that's the end of the story. I mean, I wish we had the cliche, Bill, because it's the old cliche, the league table doesn't lie. And at the moment, Liverpool are 25 points ahead. Imagine if, you know, they go in the last game of the season, you know, Salah gets injured, Mane gets injured, all sorts happening uh, and they end up losing the title. I mean, would that be fair? I mean, it would be dramatic, but it wouldn't be fair. So, I mean, we talk about fairness and and all sorts of stuff uh, on the podcast, especially in terms of the resumption of football. I mean, let's just say if this system was implemented, it would be exciting. And I know football is supposed to be an entertainment nowadays. um, So it would be exciting, yes, but... Would it be accepted by people in the UK as a, you know, as a format they can get behind? I'm not 100% sure. It seems to be popular in the United States, as as Gunnar Wolf mentions, you know, NASCAR changed to it. I mean, we see things like the NFL draft in the United States where the bottom team gets you know, the first pick. But obviously there's no relegation in, in American football. So that kind of uh, scraps that idea here in this country. Mm-hmm. So I think some of the ideas that maybe work over the pond don't quite work here so I, I can't see anyone getting behind that let's get another question on the board then we've got a couple left including our final question which might be my favorite question we've ever had on the aqa podcasts uh, so steve you can do the next one yeah we've uh, we've had a question off from from paolo on twitter so appreciate you getting in touch mate Th- this is a really good question and it's do you guys think that sir alex ferguson and mufc would that's man united uh, would still dominate the current league with pep and jürgen klopp and the way that they have transformed the league. Oof, I think that's a big question. So what are we saying, gents? It's kind of like one of those questions, if my auntie had balls, she'd be my uncle, isn't it? it? It's kind of that phrasing a little bit because it's one of those scenarios that it's impossible to test in full. Because, I mean, it's a difficult one because Fergie is undoubtedly the greatest manager to have managed a team in the Premier League. 
and 12 Premier League titles, which is more than double that the Klopp and Pep have got together. And that's including the one that they haven't won, Liverpool haven't won this season. Haven't won, Steve. Um, so he's undoubtedly the greatest manager and you can't argue with that. And I think you have to go, you have to think that, I mean, we kind of think as of Pep and Klopp as playing this new type of football now, of playing this new, exciting, counter-attacking, uh, fast-closing-down game. And that doesn't seem to be the type of football that Fergie was playing back in the 90s. But at the same time, there's no reason why he wouldn't have played that if he'd been a manager now, because footballers are very different physically now than they were back when Fergie was in his pomp. And Fergie wasn't a manager that just played one style. It wasn't a Sam Allardyce, one size fits all, pump it long, or whatever his tactic was. He was someone who changed his tactics, not just on a kind of three-yearly cycle basis, but on a game-by-game basis as well. He was a master of assessing the opposition. So it's a really difficult one to judge. I think in truth, I'd say no. If I had to go yes or no, I'd go no, he wouldn't have the success and Manchester United wouldn't have built the dynasty they did then now because simply Fergie would not have been in the job as long. I mean, a lot was talked about Fergie having a similar start to his career as David Moyes in terms of win ratio. And we know what happened to David Moyes. He wasn't given the time. So Fergie would have been binned off long before he could even begin to establish the Manchester United that they eventually became, I think. That's my kind of view. So if he was given the chance, yes, he would succeed because he's a great manager, but he wouldn't have got that chance. I mean, Fergie was the best for 15 years. I mean, the word in the question there, would he dominate the current league with Pep and Klopp? No, he wouldn't dominate. No chance because Pep and Klopp are are on his level. I mean, look what happened when Wenger came to town. Look what happened when Mourinho came to town. Mm. I mean, in the end, Ferguson and United kind of reigned supreme over the period of time. Um, But it, it wasn't, domination during the whole 15-year period. There were spells where Chelsea were the best and Arsenal were the best. So, I mean, with two contenders, because it was either one or the other, wasn't it, really, with Ferguson? I mean, it was kind of the, the anomaly of Blackburn under under Kenny Dalglish and then Mourinho kind of came along and before that, Wenger came along. I mean, but to have two competitors at the same time um, didn't really happen too often in Ferguson's career, especially ones of the quality of Guardiola and Klopp. I mean, but Ferguson, like I said, you know, dominated in the main with Manchester United for 15 years. And you don't do that if if you're not a good manager. And there have been plenty of times where Ferguson had to continually evolve that Manchester United team to ensure that they were one of the best teams in the league. I mean, Pep Guardiola's done that at Manchester City, no doubt. He's completely reconstructed that team. Jurgen Klopp, if you look at the team when he took over Liverpool in 2015, the first game and the squad that they have now, I mean, it's unrecognisable. Was it, Steve, like two players left or something from that yeah, first game? Yeah, that's a- right, yeah. Is it Origi and Milner or something like that? I can't quite remember. So oh, You win a toaster, Nile. Oh, is that it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like bullseye in one. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just think that it would be it would be difficult for, for Ferguson. I think he left Manchester United at the right time. And we discussed this on Wednesday's podcast. I mean, leaving just after Robin Van Persie had won him uh, the league title in 2013, People say that Ferguson left at the right time because he, he knew that that squad was deteriorating. He knew that it was going to be difficult to keep up with what was an emerging force in Manchester City at the time. So I don't know. It's a tough question. It, it, it all depends on, on you know, if Ferguson had the squad that United have got now, he might be able to get a better tune out of them. And that's not saying Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's not doing a good job. Just, I mean, the quality of Sir Alex Ferguson is un- undoubted. I mean, but if you look at the squad that maybe they had two years ago, 
uh, under Jose and maybe before that under Louis van Gaal, would Ferguson get a tune out of those boys? I'm not sure any manager would be able to get them competing with with Pep Guardiola's side at the time. So, yeah, I think it's a tough question. Uh, my gut instinct says says no, and I don't know why, but I just think it's because we haven't seen Ferguson for, what is it now, seven years, yep. and it's hard to compare. Who's the better manager, Steve? Who's the better manager, Jurgen Klopp or Alex Ferguson? I think... <laughs> How are, you, how are you even pausing on that? How many, how many Premier Leagues has Jurgen Klopp got? <laughs> well, he's not even been here as long as Sir Alex Ferguson was. So, you know, he's, he's not got that longevity, has he? Would, would Jurgen Klopp, if he had another 20 years in the job, you know, win 12 Premier Leagues? I think the odds are stacked in his favour that he would do, you know what I mean? But um, I think that it's, it's a really interesting question. And, you know, first and foremost, Sir Alex Ferguson, you know, arguably, you know, the the... the greatest manager uh, in this country that we've seen um, I think there's a debate to be had at some point on another podcast about the uh, legitimacy of Bob Paisley you know what I mean when that conversation so um, you know I, I mean I was looking at Sir Alex Ferguson's stats and incredible stats for him and, and, and honours that he's won um, what's quite interesting is, is United played probably at the time what was considered football like like Guardiola and Klopp you know they were dynamic they were attacking they loved the counter attack you know the goals that they scored usually had 30 40 passes you know involved and they you mm. know they were a really nice team to watch but most importantly they dug in as well they had that mental resilience because obviously the famous Fergie time was you know created and um you know we'd be saying things to the referees like you know well, don't let Vieira referee the game today planting that seed in the referees so I think you know, he had all that going for him as well. He had all that kind of guile and craft, you know, that he could add into the mix as well. In terms of, uh, of you know, the Man City-Liverpool comparison, it's quite interesting that when Man City were winning, sorry, Man United were winning titles, they were losing between four and six games a season doing it. Now, Man City and Liverpool aren't losing that level of games every season. And I think they're a bit more relentless. I think they're quicker. I think, you know, the game has evolved and formations have changed. And I think that, you know, also I think I'd like to add into it that Man United were in, uh, you know, leagues where they probably had two, uh, one, maybe two some seasons competitors to go up against where, you know, there's probably like four teams that are capable of winning the Premier League any any season at the minute. And I think that on that basis, I would probably say that I think Liverpool and, and Man City will probably dish out a few irons to Fergie's United teams. You still didn't tell me whether Fergie or Klopp was a better manager. Yeah, but I'll let Klopp. you off that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, wow. it's obviously, Sir Al- <laughs> obviously Sir Alex Ferguson. I think, you know, Jürgen has made the Premier League a better place like Pep Guardiola has. And I think mm. I've said many times on this podcast, we've just got to cherish them two managers while we've got them because we won't see two more characters like that in this country for a long time after they've both set sail for, for new shores. Right, let's wrap up with the final question of today's podcast. It is a doozy, so strap yourselves in for this one. It comes from Charlie on Instagram, who says, what's the worst haircut in Premier League history? Who wants to take this one first? Should we not just wait until lockdown's over and everyone comes back? This is true, yeah. If our haircuts are anything to the judge by. The barbers aren't open yet, and the hairdressers aren't open yet, so we could see some absolute shockers when Premier League football returns. Um, I've got a couple... And they're just ones I thought of off the top of my head. I mean, 
some honourable mentions, uh, for instance, David James with the Clark Kent Superman oh, look. Yeah. That was an absolute shocker. Uh, David James has had some stinkers. White afros, white cornrows, black afros, black <laughs> cornrows. You name it. He's had all sorts of haircuts. However, there's two that stand out for me. And the first one is the former Arsenal man, Gervinho, who had yep. a forehead bigger than the planet Mars uh, and somehow... <laughs> You could found... project films onto it, couldn't you? You, you literally <laughs> it's like could. That big. It, it's, it, it may as well be a planet in itself, you know. It's, you know, he managed to find a first of all a hairband big enough to fit around his big Swede, which is just unbelievable. And secondly, those like pipe cleaner. It looked like he had pipe cleaners on the top of his head. You know, you talk about a mop haircut. I mean, Javinio's lid was one of the worst I've ever seen. But it doesn't take the biscuit for me. It was a Joe Cole haircut when he was at West Ham. And I don't know if you've ever seen this. If you haven't, go onto Google and just search Joe Cole bad haircut. And I'm Googling it now. And it is basically uh, a shaved head uh, apart from one strip down the side. It's almost like a sideways Mohican. So, you know, a Mohican would go on the top of your head. This is almost like a 45 degree angle at the side of your head. And it's red. He's dyed it red. I mean, I never saw Joe Cole with this haircut, but he had it at West Ham and it is an absolute abomination. One of the worst haircuts I've ever seen, let alone from a footballer. So Joe Cole for me, if that can be beaten, then I will tip my hat to any of you because I think that is an absolute stinker. It is a stinker. I seem to remember him getting that done just before England duty as well. I think there was something about that, but I'd completely forgotten about that haircut. I was going to give some mentions to some terrible haircuts that have come from down the years. Uh, Big Andy Carroll, his cornrows. I mean, (laughs) white men should not have cornrows. I think that's a fact we can all accept. So that looked terrible. Yang and his haircuts are appalling. A grown man should not have stars shaved into the side of their head. So Yang gets a mention as well. But for me, worst haircut in the Premier League... It's got to be Wayne Rooney. And <laughs> purely for the hair transplant thing he went through. And I kind of got, it was really brave of Wayne Rooney to post the pictures of him having the hair transplant and kind of the progress he went under. And there would have been a few people who were kind of maybe struggling with the confidence to get it done and felt like they wanted to, but didn't like the the kind of stigma attached to it. And that's great. I love that he did that. But the actual result was terrible. I mean, we can't escape from the fact that he got hair grafted from his ass, put on the top of his head. <laughs> the fact he spent £60,000 on it twice. Like, he had it done, then four weeks later, he was bald again. It had all fallen out. So I think that gets the award for me for worst Premier League haircut. And I have to agree with Liam Gallagher who had the best description of Wayne Rooney post-hair transplant of all time. He said, Wayne Rooney looked like a balloon with Weetabix stuck on top, (laughs) (laughs) which I just loved. So for me, it's got to be Wazza. Antonio Conte had a a stinking hair transplant as well, didn't he, at Chelsea with that big sort of shaggy hair that he had. That was terrible. I'm I'm just thinking back now, um, Cesc Fabregas had a terrible mullet, didn't he, back in the day when he first started at Arsenal. And for whatever reason, every time you Google bad footballer haircuts, Abel Xavier comes up. Oh yeah, I was really you know, at, at Liverpool and Everton with the um, with the kind of the white hair and the white beard. Uh, forgive me if if anyone disagrees, but I don't think that looks that bad. I think it quite suits him. He was up there. I think for me, I think that we can probably say Paul Pogba on any given Friday. Uh, oh, probably... Graham Sooners over here. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I think um, I think currently, I think you know uh, who I think's got the worst hair in the Premier League. Mamadou Saku. 
uh, at Crystal Palace, that, that kind of white strip going down the centre of his head. Um, I, I don't know. I just don't get it. I mean, obviously, I'm bald, so I just shave my head twice a week with a bloody Gillette razor. Uh, so I think that that's probably it for me. But I think the most shocking one I've seen happen to uh, Simeone's son when he was at River Plate. I don't know if you've seen that. No, no. Uh, well, if you just put uh, Simeone's son River Plate, uh, I know it's not Premier League and we've digressed slightly, but that that's probably as bad as it gets. And I think, you know, obviously, like I said, Pogba, Sacco, um, I think, you know, globally, any haircut that Neymar's had uh, can be included in there. <laughs> and um, I think uh, there was a... David Beckham had a cut as well at, at LA Galaxy where he did this weird thing with the sides of it. Um, <laughs> so, you, you know, there's loads, but like I said, a Premier League, I think it'd probably be them too. I don't think you can include David Beckham in bad haircuts either, because although he has had some oh, shocking you can. haircuts... You seriously inst- can. But every time David Beckham had a haircut, no matter what it was, instantly it became popular. And you'd see Not this one. <laughs> thousands of people having it. All right, we'll check that out another time, because that is all the time we've got for today's Football Social Daily, the AQA podcast that is controlled 100% by your questions. Make sure you get them in for next week. Niall, Steve, thank you very much. Cheers, Cheers guys. Lads. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. We're doing three a week at the moment, but who knows if Premier League returns in the next month or so, we'll ramp it back up. We'll bring you a brand new podcast every single day. Stay safe, stay well. We'll see you next time. Football Social Daily with German Doner Kebab. Slow-cooked, succulent meats delivered fast to your door. Search for us via Uber Eats and Deliveroo. What about Marouane Shamak?